The Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center is a Black-led, Black-focused, and Black-serving charitable organization in the region of Peel. Rest Centers provides transitional housing support services to BIPOC youth experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness. In less than 10 years of operation, Rest has established itself as an essential organization to the fight to end youth homelessness by supporting youth to change their stories, discover new possibilities, and kill their dignity. The guest featured in this episode has been made anonymous to protect their identity as they tell their story. Their name and voice have been changed to secure this anonymity, and any resemblance to these changes to actual persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental. This podcast, Homelessness in Hiding, or Youth Between the Cracks, is an uncensored discussion of content that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Personal discretion is advised. Welcome to Homelessness in Hiding, or Youth Between the Cracks, a podcast about homelessness, youth homelessness, and issues of poverty in our communities, from the people right in the thick of it. You are listening to Youth Shelter's Emergency Response, a three-part mini-series that will uncover the truth of life inside a youth shelter in Peel, from both a service provider and youth perspective. We'll capture some of the rules, norms, and taboos that exist within the youth shelters to keep them comfortable, practical, and secure for residents and service providers. In the last episode, part one, I interviewed frontline staff about their experience as service providers and all the work that goes into running the shelter safely and efficiently. I highly recommend listening to that episode before this one. I'm Maimon is your host for today, and in this episode, part two, we're going to hear from some of the youth who are living inside of Branson Youth Shelter in August of 2023. We'll hear their stories, learn their insights, and heed their calls to action. First up is Rico. Rico has one of the most shocking stories I've ever heard. He's already been experiencing homelessness for two years despite being so young, but he's driven to make a change. Hello, Rico. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. First, if you're comfortable telling me, how old are you? I'm 20. Um, and how long have you been in the shelter system? Um, I've been in the shelter system since... February, March of this year, but previously to that, for about a year and a half, I was in a vehicle, sleeping in a vehicle, no license, no insurance, was driving it around every day. Wow. How did you get a hold of that vehicle? I had it due to my ex. Um, I bought the car off of her, and... She couldn't hold on to it any longer, so I took over just cash payment, right? No sign, it was signed, but I couldn't just drive it, right, on the road. But other than that, after I got in the shelter system, it's like, it's a little bit easier to do what I want to do. And what is it that you want to do? I'm looking for a job right now, so like, finding a job in the GTA area or PO area, it's really hard. How did you come to experience homelessness? Um, it started off at the age of 16. I and my grandmother lied to me. She said she would be home and she would let me back in. So she didn't allow me to take my house key. So when I arrived at my friends, I didn't have a phone plan, so I can't see the messages on the way there. So I got there, and there's a long paragraph basically saying that I'm not allowed back in the house. Um, 
pick up my clothes and stuff tomorrow. So I basically stayed the night at my friend's house. Thankfully, she, her parents allowed that because I don't know what I've done. Probably would have went to, to a park. That would have been my idea. Just try to camp that out there. So this is where the Rocky Road starts. After that, I um, the next day I went to grab my stuff, and then I messaged the person, my another friend uh, on social media, asking if I could stay there. They allowed it for the one night, but I left my things there. Actually, I didn't bring them because um, it's it was really far, right? And the next day. I went to my mother's house and I haven't been with my mother since the age of three because I got taken away by CAS. A lot of crazy stuff, but it's done. Um, I knew where she lived because I used to uh, sneak out of my grandma's and go out with her, but she didn't know. I guess somebody told her maybe. It's just been crazy like crazy experiences with my mother she's bipolar and smokes a ton of weed like she thinks her weed is her medicine i smoke weed but it's not like her she smokes every like five minutes um she's very controlling very manipulative if you don't do it her way she'll take over and do it and scream at you She'll make a lot of loud noises early in the morning, so it kind of wakes you up. She wants to make herself known that she's there, even though it was me and her and her dog. Um, she would always make me do things that, like, was above and beyond the limit of how to parent your kid and all that stuff, like, teaching them how to do that. She made me do, she was a landlord, or, I mean, she was a superintendent at a, a apartment building and she made me rake the whole lawn and it goes around the corner, it was on the corner, goes all the way around with a rake, not even a leaf blower, a little rake, and it filled up, I had to fill up 22 bags. Then I had to just plan something. I couldn't stay with her any longer because it was just very crazy. Like, and she would just basically control me and make her do everything for her while she just lays back in bed. Um, but she did cook. Her cooking was good. And it was healthy meals. It wasn't like just fast food. She actually cooked. Um, I figured a way to bounce around with a few people on social media, like just asking around. Moved in for a bit, couldn't work after that. Got kicked out, went back to my mom's. Moved out again, went back to my mom's. Moved out again to Richmond Hill. Got charged a few days after my 18th birthday. Um, then went back with my cousin. My cousin finally was able to take me then I called my mom explaining I got charged the night of. Then I went back with my mom. I don't know, it was a surprise to me. She acted all nicey-nice for me, because that's what she did every other time I went back. She would be nice for one night, and then back to her normal attitude, garbage, crappy tone. 
Then I went back with my mom, I stayed for her a bit, then I was gone again, moved in with somebody, all my things. She, every time I moved out though, she would always keep all of my IDs, so I would never have my IDs. So, it was like, I couldn't really do anything, but I had pictures, I was smarter than I had pictures of like my SIM card and all that. Um, so like, I moved in with this one person and I got a job. I got a job at the person, it was just on the street, I worked at Dollarama, Dollar Store, whatever. Worked there for probably like three months, two months. I came back, the people that I was staying with told me I wasn't allowed to stay there anymore, they didn't let me in. They took all my things. I couldn't get my things back because my name wasn't on the lease. Just a bunch of running around trying to figure out how to get my stuff, but the police told me I couldn't do anything because that's what they always say to whenever I try, like whenever I pour my heart out into like trying to do something, it just does not work. Yeah, like I'm, I'm hearing you say all this and not that it makes it any better, but I want you to know that these this isn't the first time I'm hearing a lot of this stuff. It's still just as shocking every time. I mean, to be honest, I think this was the first time where I had heard of a grandmother, you know, saying, oh, you don't need your house key today. I'll be pure. And then you proceeding to get locked out. That is a level of deceit that is new to me. And I am, of course, my mic didn't catch this, but my jaw dropped when he started that. So I want you to know that's horrific. I am so sorry. Um, but. You know, even like the whole stealing the IDs, refusing to give them back, your name not being on the lease, which means that you don't, you're not entitled to any of your stuff because there's no proof that you were actually renting there. Like, exactly. A lot of these systems aren't set up in a way that will protect you if you're maybe like a young person who doesn't know every nook and cranny of the law or if you're just in a pinch and you needed something. So when we left off, I went back to my mom's, I would say, and I left a few, like a week later, and I stayed with my ex for a bit. They allowed me in, like her mother, or I was like staying in the car and stuff, um, and her mom would catch me here and there and tell her I, he can't sleep in the car, and basically she got kicked out so we both slept it out in the car for a bit then we went back to my mom's again she came with me my mom allowed it then we my dad has been like texting me throughout this whole thing as well i just don't like talking to him i didn't like talking to him at the time because i was talking to my mom and my mom would do more than my dad still does one day i started talking to him more and i just basically left and i moved in i moved in with him and his girlfriend and he had i have a little stepbrother he's three going on four soon um i liked it there it was in toronto it was very different though because being in the GTA when you're not, we weren't raised in the GTA, it's a lot different. 
with all the buses and the streets and the traffic and all that, it's different. So I was staying at my dad's for a bit and every time I would try to leave the house, my little brother would always want me and he would literally throw the biggest like fit ever, screaming to the top of his lungs, throwing everything he could throw. Because he hasn't been out of the house ever since he was like born basically because his girlfriend has uh, a weak immune system. So it's um, hard for when the COVID was going around. It was a little bit serious. No, I can understand that. And I guess it can also feel like not that he's technically your dependent, but you want to look out for him. Like, mm-hmm. that's a little boy, an innocent little boy that you love, that you would do anything for, despite being, like, in a lot of eyes, like, a young person yourself who's still learning the world. I can understand that. It can feel like a lot. Mm-hmm. After that, I would have to go to work, and I just couldn't leave because he would just be doing the most, and I would have to call on to work. Mm-hmm. So I took a step... I took that step and my dad and I were getting in arguments all the time so I just left and it all started at like it started at a laundromat my homelessness like I started in Brampton actually it was like a 24 hour thing so every night I would be there until they caught on to me and then there's a loud alarm system they would be setting off like like it sounded like if you're in a prison and they pull that buzzer like for the whole prison buzzing going off like tornado siren every night i was there after that so i found another 24-hour one which was literally right beside in the next plaza um staying there for like a week or two and then someone called the police on me i got up out of my sleep, stood up, and literally the police grabbed me thinking I was pulling a gun out or something. Like they like grabbed me, threw me against the dryers or washers, whatever they were. And I was just explaining I have nothing, this and that, and just explained to them. And like they apologized and I've never had that happen. <laughs> they called around to see if there's room, like, I've never been in a shelter until then, mm-hmm. and it was, they called it uh, like an adult shelter. I only got to stay there for like, till like 12 a.m. to like 7, 8, whenever they kick us out. So I went to the Tim Hortons, waiting, just trying to figure out what to do really. Um, I had a few friends that lived in Brampton, so I would hang out with them. They had a vehicle, so that helped a lot. They drove me, I I went to their house for a bit and I just started calling around and researching all these shelter places. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was youth shelters versus adult shelters and women's shelters versus men's shelters, all that. So I'm calling a shelter that doesn't just take people or like a woman's shelter I called a few times. Then I called Mississauga, or I called the Brampton one here, and they told me I had to go through Dundas, which was the adult salvation army. And so I was there for like a month, 
and make it as out of the rooms at like and there's not eight, enough eight thirty a.m. and we're not allowed back in the rooms till six like p.m. Like I was saying earlier, you know, it's so like literally all you're doing all day is just outside. You're outside all day. Like if you go inside, there's inside the building, there's a kitchen and stuff, but it's only open at certain times. I guess um, making more like children and it was a lot uh, different because it was all old men. Literally everybody in their like 30s plus uh, is there and I'm like the only kid there. There's a few other kids but they're like, like girls and they're allowed in their rooms because I think some of them are pregnant. If you have like a house, there's the homelessness is just getting worse. It's not getting They allow you to stay in their room or if you have a disability. Like if you're in a wheelchair, something like that, crutches, they allow you in the room. Or if you take medication, that as well. Um, so when I was out of the rooms all day, I, I didn't know what to do really. I would just be around all day looking for jobs on my phone and just trying to figure out everything. Like it was just the same thing over and over again and it literally just made my brain go crazy and just did not want to work and i got used to the same routine so i stopped looking for jobs and i just did whatever i wanted to do i was just smoking weed smoking cigarettes literally not trying my best i just got lower and lower i got too comfortable too quick um, and then basically one day they literally moved me here and like this place is not bad this place isn't the greatest but it's not the worst it could be it could be a little better in ways like compared to mississauga you could cook your own food you have they do have like sofas couches and there's like a chilling room there's a tv downstairs there's a computer room at the mississauga location yeah okay Mississauga has so much more options and they have programs, they do barbecues and everything there. They have a backyard, they had a back basketball net, but they don't anymore. Um, but Brampton here, Brampton here is pretty good. It's like the people here, it's not like the adult shelter where it's like they kind of scare you. Like, I didn't get scared of the older people because, like, I've been around older people, like, I have older friends and stuff, so I'm used to that. So, like, it was just weird to other, there's a few other kids there at the Dundas shelter, and it was just, it creeped them out, and I seen that, like, especially the girls that were there. <laughs> All the old men were hitting on the young girls. I wanted to ask you just a couple more questions. I want to go back to your experience in the shelter you're currently in. Comparing to your experience at Dundas, do you feel less comfortable here in that you want to kind of get out of this? Or do you feel more comfortable here? And when I say comfortable, I mean the same sense we were talking about before. It motivates me more because I have more freedom here. So it allows me to like say, oh, let me go look for a job from nine to 11, right? Go and my resumes and all that. Then come back here, go in my bed, right? Lay down, right? I could actually go in my room and like 
go on my phone so I can look for online, like do online jobs, right? So I could do that instead from like, say when I get back, I get back at like 12, 12.30, right? Do that from nine till like one o'clock, maybe. Then I could come in the kitchen, get some food, right? Then I could go back into my room, like whenever I want. I can't do that at the other shelter. Um, so I would say, yeah, it does make me feel, it motivates me a lot more than the other shelter to like do more things. Like I've done some things that I haven't done there. What do you appreciate about the shelter experience versus what do you want to see changed? Okay, so they do room checks every hour. They should not bang on your door so loud. They should have it where it's more organized. Like they have like staff always like in the area at the same time, like at all times. Cause I know like I try going upstairs and there's no staff there. It's always in the main building. So like if there is somebody to get stabbed up in one of the rooms, you could just like, you could just leave the person there. They literally leave the person in there and you would have to wait a whole hour for a staff to come check up in the room. You wouldn't be able to go get somebody? I mean, if the person, there's one person in one room and there's one person in the other room and one person walks in the person's room. Okay. They're not really, they don't look at the cameras at all times. They need more security and... I understand. I've oh, seen fight. I've seen plenty of fights in the shelter. It's actually like they don't do anything really. Like if, say, I'm yapping someone's ear off and I get smacked in the face, neither us, neither of us would get discharged. But that's what I've seen happen before. Next is Connor, a young man who has been experiencing homelessness for much of his adult life. After falling into drug use, he's moved around a lot, in and out of shelters to stay alive. However, he has his mind set for bigger things. Hey Connor, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm good. My first question for you is, how old are you? I'm 23 years old. And how long have you been staying here? Uh, so I've been staying here for, I'd say probably about a week and five, six days. Close to like a couple weeks now. Did your experience with homelessness start about two weeks ago, or is it just you've been moving around a bit? Uh, no, I've been moving around quite a bit. Um, my experience with homelessness actually started uh, uh, probably around when I was 20 years old, um, when I got into certain drugs, just addiction, and um, I actually got into pills, and um, yeah, just... Uh, you know, started off with friends, you know, how it goes, and then transitioned over to me just doing it by myself and things like that. And uh, I burnt a lot of bridges along the way with family, friends, and things like that. And, um, you know, uh, me and my dad got into a lot of fights at home, and he's a user himself, so it's, uh, it's hard to get along with him whenever I'm there. It's a really stressful environment and toxic as well. So... Yeah, just shifting around a lot throughout the past three years and uh, like on and off, you know. If I may ask, how did you come to the shelter? Uh, so I came to the shelter um, 
before I was actually at uh, MYS, Mississauga Youth Shelter. I think I was there for probably about a week and a bit. Um, no, probably like two weeks to be honest, around the same time I've been here. Um, and there was just uh, a lot of people saying stuff about me that wasn't true and whatnot. And uh, I didn't get discharged, but they transferred me over here pretty much. Like, uh, like the supervisor there, he thought I just need some time to clear my head and stay away from the triggers at the shelter. People are bothering me in terms of like, you know, uh, stuff like that, right? But uh, yeah, I almost got into a fight there too. So I don't know. I wasn't doing too good there, to be honest. Well, like I was doing good personally, but I mean, I wasn't. I was doing a lot of bad things. <laughs> On that note, how do you feel about, you know, your interactions with like the youth shelter system? Do you feel as if you've received the support that you've wanted to receive in terms of um, your path of, I guess for you, you're, you're looking towards recovery? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes and no, because I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of person to hold things in a lot and like, I'll be honest, I don't talk to the staff too much about what I'm going through, if I'm going to be straight up, but, uh, like, when I do, you know, I mean, in the past, there's been times at other shelters where I have talked to staff about, you know, whether it was, like, uh, you know, my substance usage or, you know, feeling down about something or whatnot, you know, um, yeah, like, I feel like I've gotten the help I needed. Like from staff to support me, yeah. That's good. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, in terms of not necessarily, um, like wanting to speak to staff about like you know the things you're feeling, thinking, experiencing. Um, what are your personal reasons for not necessarily wanting to open up in that capacity? Um. On, honestly, it's it's not even. There's no real reasons. I just. I'm just the kind of guy that likes keeping to himself and I I hold things in a lot, you know, like I know it's not healthy and not too good to hold things in, but like that's kind of just how I am, you know, I just deal with it, right? But I know it's definitely a lot better to talk to someone about it, get off your back, right? But uh, usually I just, you know, deal with it in my own kind of ways. Yeah. I, I completely understand. If I may offer, like, I guess hopefully some validating information. You're definitely not alone in the perspective that you hold in that regard because, you know, people like men and people socialize as men in our society are taught that to have emotions and to express emotions in any way other than violence or through like unhealthy mechanisms is yeah. what they're supposed to do. Whereas women are taught that like you can be emotional but not too emotional because then you're hysterical. I think we have a lot of work to do in terms of understanding emotions and mental health and talking about it in a way that's just a reality of the human experience instead yeah. of any type of way. I agree with that, yeah. And so I want you to know that like, on top of that too, it's like, you are someone who has been through a lot of things and from 
what I'm able to kind of pick up from what you've told me, it seems like you've been on your own for quite some time. And perhaps there have been moments where you've needed support and you've been rejected. You've asked for help and it's not, it's not been given to you. And yeah, so- well, like, there's been, there's been um, a lot of shelters I've been to, like I said, like, all over Ontario where, you know, like, there's some shelters. I've been to all men's shelters. I've been to youth shelters, but I do prefer youth shelters a lot more just because it's like, I don't know, like, I am a man, I'm 23 years old, but it's like, there's just a different vibe in youth shelters compared to all men's shelters. It's like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, it's just like, like jail, all all men's shelters, like youth, at least it's a little, like you can connect more with people because they're a little closer to your age. I guess kind of in the same vein. What else do you appreciate about being in the shelter currently? Honestly, I can appreciate that, like I already mentioned, you know, like there's people close to my age I can connect to, um, you know, it's, it's like mostly sanitary for the most part in youth shelters as opposed to like all men shelters, a lot of all men shelters pretty get pretty dirty, um, but um, also, I guess the atmosphere as well, like in general, it's not, it's not like as tense as an almond shelter, you know? It's a little more chill and easygoing as opposed to an almond shelter where it's like, you know, just a little more tense and more fights and stuff. Is there anything about the shelter experience you hear youth shelters in general that you would like to see changed? Do you think there's kind of any broken links in the system? Better staff in some shelters, maybe, because how I feel in certain shelters I've been to is that some staff are just there to work, just there to get their hours in work, you know, like as opposed to other staff that or their work and actually help, right? And like care about people, right? But honestly, that's, I can't really think of anything else really that the uh, shelter system needs. Maybe more beds, you know? Because I know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of refugees out there, and, you know, people coming in from different countries that are homeless on the streets. I was on the streets for a while before before this, I was at Mississauga Youth Shelter, but before Mississauga Youth Shelter, I was actually downtown Toronto uh, by Young and Dundas. I was there most of the time, pretty much every day. Um, I was living on the streets for like about three, four weeks until I finally found a bed at the youth shelter up there. Um, but I was calling every day the intake line and same answer, wait for space, wait for space, wait for space. It was getting so discouraging. And I called at least like twice a day, you know, but it was getting discouraging. So sometimes some days I wouldn't actually call and just grind it out the days, you know, and it'd just be really boring and, you know, and just always worrying about where you're going to sleep and rest your head at night too when you're on the streets. It's And downtown's a scary place too. Like I got robbed uh, one night I was down there and um, it was pretty bad. I got taken to the trauma center and stuff. My face was all bloodied up. Yeah, it's pretty rough being on the streets. 
I'm really grateful to be in the shelter. Yeah, and I mean, again, you've already taken so many steps. You're, you're, you're on the right path, you know? Yeah. I see it. Thank you. On that note, actually, what is a goal that you have for your future? And right now, in this moment, do you think it's possible? A goal I have for my future would be, uh, I've always wanted to get into culinary arts. So like to cook, be a chef, you know, or maybe open a restaurant one day. Like I really love to cook. It's always been a passion of mine and, you know, just being in the kitchen in general, doing recipes, stuff like that. Um, but um, aside from that, I actually really enjoy um, renovations. I was doing renovations for a while and uh, that wasn't a bad job either. I, I like doing like a lot of hands-on work. So, yeah, like, you know, that or just um, in the future, yeah, like, I might see myself going back to school for culinary arts. Not like 100% sure, but yeah, I'd love to go to like George Brown College or something like that. That'd be cool. I do have the motivation and drive inside of me, you know, to make things happen and just work towards my goals, especially like a career in terms of, you know, like something I want to do in the future. It's just, uh, you know, some days I got to pick myself up, which is hard, but like everyone has those days, right? But like, uh, for, for the most part, I think I have, you know, a good motivation and drive like to get things I want to do done. Yeah, like, like my mom supports me. I talk to her still, you know, but um, other than that, yeah, like my mom and my brother, I have a brother that's one year younger than me, 22, old brother. He's a good guy, you know, me and him still keep in touch. And my mom, my big supporters, for sure. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, if I can ask a question, is there a reason why you're not able to stay with either of them? Knowing full well that, you know, your family can be like the best supporters in the world, but sometimes you guys can't be under the same roof anymore. There was actually an incident that happened when I was like 21 years old um, at her old house where, so I have two half-brothers, one's seven years old and then one is uh, 12 now. I was going through like my big phase of, you know, Xanax addiction and uh, I pretty much, uh, I was staying over one night and um, I took a little too much. I guess you'd say overdosed and uh, she told me she woke up and she heard banging sounds. She came out in the hallway and I was kind of like sleepwalking, banging my head against the wall or, or like doing something like, um, doing something odd, you know, uh, so she could tell someone was up and uh, just, yeah, I was really out of it and uh, so I think she called the ambulance or whatnot I'm not too sure what happened that night I can't remember exactly what happened but all I do know is she's she's held on to that since it happened and uh, because children's aid got involved because the kids were home mm. it's not like I don't think they saw it or anything but they were home at the time when it happened so they got involved and actually almost ended up taking the kids from my mom so she was pretty upset about that and um, she just honestly wants me to get like fully better before I can actually go live with her. You know, like I can't, 
can't go look. She's really strict. Like she's old school strict. Uh, like like she's Russian, right? I'm, I'm Russian, so just goes by the books pretty much. Like she, I understand what you mean. Yeah, she she doesn't tolerate any drugs, none of that, you know, so it's not like she's holding a grudge, it's just she wants me to get better too. But you know, it's like people can like love you and want the best for you, but then it's so complicated, you know, there's like, especially when there's so many people involved, when there's young, young kids involved, like I, I see all sides. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you wish things were different? Do you... Honestly, um, it doesn't really make me at this at this point right now it really doesn't make me feel any type of way because i've been on my own for a while and um it's just it's understandable coming from my mom's point you know what like her reasoning i guess you know I, sometimes i'd get really upset at her and just say like you know when I, you know when i when i have my heated arguments or moments with her i'd say bad stuff to her and say like you know, you're a terrible mom, why don't you just take me in, this and that. But, uh, yeah, it just can't happen like that. Before we get back to hearing more news stories, I want to take a moment to touch base with you. If you're interested in joining the conversation, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube so we can hear your thoughts on today's episode and you can let us know what you want to see in the future. Rest provides a wide variety of services that center around shelter, living, healing, and growing. Our biggest flagship program is the Bridge of Hope, a socially innovative approach to preventing youth homelessness. In collaboration with our bridge builders, the landlords we work with to house and build the capacity of youth to live independently, the Bridge of Hope program provides youth with a sense of belonging that can only be found in a stable home. We are always looking for new bridge builders, so if you have an empty room in your house or an extra space to rent and are interested in housing youth in need, or if you want to otherwise volunteer with Rust Centers, you can send an email to info at rustcenters.org. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-S-T-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn how you can get involved. If you want to stay in the loop about what Rust is doing to help our community shelter dignity and support youth experiencing homelessness, you can get to know us on our LinkedIn or subscribe to the Rust Center's newsletter for updates. And most importantly, if you are a youth in Peel experiencing or at risk of experiencing homelessness, we are here to help you. Give us a call at 905-863-1118 to get in touch. Now, back to the episode. Last up for today is B. B is the youngest person we'll hear from in this series. Bea has spent much of her young life supporting herself and her mom before things took a turn for the worse. Yet she is bright, determined, and has the voice of a true advocate. Hi, B. Hello. How are you? I'm pretty okay, and you? I'm good. You sound a little nervous. I mean, I am, but like, it's good. <laughs> um, what is making you the most nervous right now? I don't know. Probably just the fact of putting my story out there for the first time and not too much detail but like some level of detail I've genuinely kept it pretty tight left and private. Well for one I want to thank you for doing this today. I know what I'm asking you to do is hard. I know like to put yourself out there in that capacity is a very difficult thing. It's something I even struggle with to a degree and so Truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for talking to me today. And again, if there's anything I can do to make you feel more comfortable in any kind of situation, just let me know. Okay, thank you. And so, my first question for you is, how old are you? 
I'm currently 16. Wow, so you're right at the, I guess, the minimum age to qualify to be in this shelter. Mm-hmm. And so, how long have you been here then? Um, I arrived at here, like, less than six to eight weeks after I turned 16. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I do oftentimes make the joke about how, yeah, I'm, I'm basically fresh meat. <laughs> Um, so when you when you say that, um, what do you mean when you say that you're fresh meat? Like in the sense of when I intook here, I'm not saying the staff member was shocked to see my age on my piece of identification, but she kind of was pretty shocked to see that, and she's like, "So how did you end up here?" And I'm like, "Yeah, so like." I ended up here because, like, my mom couldn't afford to keep up the apartment, and even after my efforts of trying to keep the apartment via working for three months straight, just seven days a week, um, no breaks, I would come home at two o'clock in the morning most nights, so basically I would would do school full-time from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. I would, at 3.15, go to wrestling practice at my high school. And then I would get out of wrestling practice at 5.30, and then I would go babysit children um, at 6 o'clock, and I wouldn't get home till 2 a.m., and that was just to try to keep the apartment um, and pay both the base rent as well as the additional back rent because, like, my mom's hours got cut, and she couldn't afford to upkeep the apartment. (laughs) So there were arrears? Yes. uh, There were fairly significant. They were closer to almost $5,000. That number might shock people, but also something to note is that when you have to constantly run from abusive fathers, like in my case, um, the money that is required to move is not always there on a salary that is pre-tax $34,000 and after tax closer to twenty-nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have to move twice within 11 months, sadly, you end up falling to predatory loan companies that charge interest rates that are actually criminal. And just so you could have the money to stay safe, but you sadly end up in $20,000 in arrears and the payments end up exceeding your rent payment and half of your income. You said you were in school as you were working. Are you still in school? Yes. Um, I basically was full-time up until semester two, and then I started to take on a full-time and a half course load um, in semester two, um, basically about six weeks before I became unhoused. Um, so time and a half to clarify is basically when you're taking four courses in day school and a course in night school. The reason why it's called time and a half is because it's a condensed course. It starts in February and ends at the end of May. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why it's titled time and a half, um, because of the fact you're basically doing double duty for most of that semester. Uh, now, in regards to the position, when I found out that we were being like evicted, um, I actually couldn't take it, and I wasn't able to hold down the position for much longer after that when I learned that 
the money that I was making wasn't going toward keeping the apartment. It was going to keeping the arrears down to a level to where my mom couldn't get sued for it because getting sued for almost $10,000 worth of arrears is pretty gnarly, especially when there's no way in hell she could pay that. <laughs> so, first of all, I'm sorry that you've had to, because I think what some people might call that would be kind of self-parentification, where you've had to, you know, take on, I guess, the breadwinner role in your family, or the otherwise, like, the emotional support role in your family. Um, and so I'm so sorry that at such a young age that was put on to you. Like, I want you to know, like, that's unfair. And you, like, you were so strong and courageous for stepping up as you did, but, like, that doesn't make it okay. Yeah, I do know it's unfair, and the reality is it did have a profound impact in the sense of, for a time, myself and my mom didn't really, especially, like, in the coming weeks of being, or the first few weeks of being here, we didn't really talk, we didn't really communicate, and we were kind of, we never really addressed the elephant in the room, of, um, but there's still kind of that... I paid up almost $10,000 and I'm still sitting here. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot. Because, you know, in another situation, like in another universe, like you could have saved that money or you wouldn't even have to have worked as much as you did while you were in school. Yeah, because also what people forget when you pull a schedule like that is you have school at 9 a.m. You have to be there at 9 a.m. And when you're doing time and a half because three days a week I have night school it obviously kind of came to a point to where basically actually shortly after turning 16 I actually had a mental breakdown and I couldn't do it anymore I ended up leaving that position and I couldn't hold it down anymore because of just the sleepless nights the stress um, and just trying to do that as well as balance other commitments is what's not working. Absolutely. So if I may ask, you're here. Where's your mom right now? So she's been bounced around between at least three placements, to my knowledge. Um, one has been in Toronto, uh, another one has been in Peel, and then another one has been in a completely different jurisdiction. Okay. Um, are you in contact with your mother? At this point, yes. Um, the first six weeks, of, as I earlier mentioned, we didn't really talk, speak. I think the only time I spoke to her was, um, and I quote, uh, yeah, mom, I need $35 to go get my Ontario photo card. That was the only time I spoke to her within that six weeks. And then it took time for us to build back up and start speaking again because that's a lot to unpack. Right? Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. So when you go back to school in the fall, do you still plan to keep the work schedule up as you originally had it? or So my plan going forward, I've, I've found other ways to kind of make money in the interim. Like I am uh, like a social assistance recipient. Um, just for the interim, my kind of... Um, goal is to find a position, but it's been hard to find a position where I could work the number of hours that is feasible for my school schedule and to be able to balance other com the commitments without burnout because I I don't think I could go through a level of burnout like that again. I don't think I'm whole like that again to be able to do that. Oh, of course, and I think that's almost the bare minimum again thinking about like how young you are and the fact that like you should... You should 
you shouldn't be worried about stuff like this at your age and the fact that it's been from what I'm understanding years of that before even now so yeah in that regard I fully fully understand um so in terms so you've been in the shelter now for about five or so months how has that been um it's been quite the interesting ride they kind of in the beginning didn't really care as to whether or not i had a caseworker assigned to me for almost two months i had an outreach worker assigned to me because there was at this point the shelter wasn't overcrowded but there was only one caseworker to at the time i think 40 youth we have the capacity to hold about 60 across the three um, buildings so that's a lot for one caseworker to deal with so meaning anyone who got in took at a certain point in time they were assigned a outreach worker instead of a caseworker and it was pretty hard to track down that outreach worker because her phone never worked i would call it and then it would be like you, 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 you've reached the voicemail of someone who like left a long time ago type thing. And I'm just like, how am I supposed to figure half of this out? Because like at the time I was trying to figure out a transitional housing application, um, a social assistance application, I was also trying to figure out a subsidized housing application. Um, all which things that I've, I've never touched in my life, let alone, um, well, it's, it's not to say that I've never been in those programs before, but I've never had to do them myself at 16, um, where you're like, how do I fill this out? <laughs> and like when you would try to actually track the person down, it would be, oh, I end work at four, what time can you get here at? And I'm like, I end school at three o'clock. Um, I'm not going to get back until 4.30. <laughs> Basically, I mean, I'd have to leave early to try to get a hold of that worker, and it would it would cause a lot of issues at school where they'd be like, where are you? <laughs> like, you, you need to be in class. And I'm like, I, I love to be in class trying to do this, but I have to get all this done. In the beginning, they kind of didn't really press me here to, like, do much of anything. It's just, just focus on school and get used to things. And I'm like, I'm going to do some of this now because I'm 90% sure when I finally get a caseworker, it's going to not be a great plus. I'm going to be like, so what have you done? And they're like, oh, yeah, nothing. Um, and I was actually right in my predictions. I got assigned a caseworker who was like, yeah, you've, oh, you've only filled this out. Um, you need to do much more in a six to eight week time frame. And I'm like, yeah, and, but I've also done this. I'm like, well, yeah, I also need to prioritize getting out of here. And I'm like, have y'all tried to get out of a system like this at 16? Like, there's so many things that are stacked against you. And then when you finally manage to figure a pathway out, there's always something that's going to screw it over and screw it up. It's not the worst experience, but it's also not the best like in the sense of i had to get another caseworker assigned to me because myself in the last one kind of just we didn't get on or like see eye to eye in terms of how i was doing things like i would do things and then update her two to three weeks later because i just literally did not have time um and she just wouldn't be flexible to that and 
it caused a lot of conflict and resentment, and thankfully I did get switched over, but it just goes to show how sometimes when you're on the younger side of things, they think you don't care, and it shows in how they conduct themselves. And also, another thing about being on the younger side of things is how supervisor, like supervisor-type staff, like those that are in middle-level management, they sometimes just look at you differently and sometimes don't completely respect you. Like, there's one that comes to mind, without mentioning any names, who will kind of give me a lot of side-eye when I ask for things or kind of look at me in a disrespectful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually is even worse when in the stages of when myself and my mother were rebuilding our relationship, we would hang out at the Tim Hortons that's across the street. And I would walk my mother to the bus stop that's in front of where I am here. And this supervisor just was just had that look that was like she had a problem. And it was kind of obvious to both myself and her that like she she had a problem. Her problem was not good, and I never really managed to confront her over it because I don't want any repercussions. But it also goes to show that many people who aren't in this field, sadly, do not follow what their field has as a tenant, which is to not judge people based on their circumstance. One thing I actually do want to comment on, um, at the risk of kind of veering off track, you're speaking a lot about, you know, like the fact that you're so young kind of gets in the way of people taking you seriously. That could be a form of ageism. But I honestly want to say like you, it's it's very clear to me that you very much know what you're talking about. You're very well informed, you're well researched. Um, It's clear to me that you have put in a lot of energy into learning the system around you if that makes sense like hearing you talk like you're speaking about things and i'm like how do you even know some of this stuff like and that's not even like that could be a result of you asking questions that could be a result of you doing research like something to note as to how i know that number and it's actually a pretty depressing reason is especially in the summer months Mm -hmm. beds get very competitive to get And if you've been here for a while, they start to pressure you and yell at you for some of the dumbest things ever. Like there was an instance last weekend where I was reprimanded for not um, washing my clothes on a certain date. But the thing is, both of the machines were down for almost two weeks. And I explained to them that how is the expectation that I have to go off site to do this when I don't even have the money to do it? And they're like, well, if you're receiving social assistance, I said, that's none of your business as to what I'm receiving. Um, what I receive goes toward trying to get out of here because being here for a long time is not mentally good for you. I am so, so sorry that that has been some of the stuff that you've experienced. Like, you're right, some of that is absolutely triggering. Like, I can fully, completely understand how, you know, some of that language and some of, like, what can absolutely feel like, like, disregard, dismissal, threatening even. I wanna ask you, if there's one thing to consider moving forward um, in terms of constructing additional emergency shelters, like, what do you, what do you want developers to consider? 
do not place it in an industrial district. I repeat, do not place it in an industrial district. The amount of times that I've just been outside minding my business and I have seen people like truck drivers, people who do deliveries, and they're just sitting there picking up girls off of the corner in rear, like in broad daylight or sometimes at night. And you're like, what's the intention of, like, what's this person's intentions? And then you put two and two together because Peel region is fairly high risk for human trafficking, mm -hmm. especially the closer you are to the 401 or with vulnerable populations, the problem gets even worse. The amount of times that I've seen in residents and people go missing. Um, thankfully, no one has died. It's insane. Um, I can count at least on two hands how many times it's happened. And the response from the shelter has been, and I quote, just don't get picked up or don't walk around at that time. And I'm like, but there are times where most half of these instances have happened in broad daylight. And this is what I have seen. Um, what I have not seen, allegedly I've heard is much worse. But the reality is there's no way, especially because most of the people who get picked up are girls. Um, and they're pretty much my age or 17. They're... They get lured in by the promise of a better life, and sadly it does not work out for that. Um, and I think it's more of a failure of how the shelter itself treats youth, and also how the wider system itself regards youth. These things don't happen in residential areas, and from a safety standpoint, it would be much safer to place an emergency shelter in a residential area or in an area that is a lot more family friendly, especially if it's going to be a youth shelter, but there's a lot of not in my backyardism. But the reality is most of the people, when you look at the demographics throughout the year that stay consistent of who uses the programs, it's mostly the ones that are between like 16 and 17 that use them. and. From the standpoint of services for that population, it would make more sense if it was placed by things like employment, education, in the sense of how the current placement is, it's very awkward and it puts people at risk and it's far away from everything. So far, we have listened to just half of the conversations I've had with the youth inside Branson Youth Shelter, and there are some themes that we can see in these stories. There is a clear, positive psychological impact when the youth can stay in a youth shelter compared to an adult shelter. Being around other youth in similar circumstances makes it easier for them to build their social capacity and feel more like themselves. There also seems to be a threat of complacency in the stagnant nature of any shelter system. Without proper and productive intervention and motivation, without adequate wraparound supports and dedicated care to the development of the young mind of any mind, a young person with nowhere to go can fall deep into a pit of despair with very little chance of escape. In this case, having the autonomy provided by the youth shelter and being able to make the decisions you need to keep yourself moving forward can make the difference between falling over and bouncing back. Yet, the shelter system in its current state isn't perfect, and it's not the long-term solution. So, let me ask the question I ask all of my guests, the question that no one has yet to escape. Connor, Rico, and B, where do you want this discussion to go? 
What should I and our listeners tackle first? I want them to understand that it's a serious thing. There's a lot of youth out there, like, you know, young, young people that are going through just as bad as me, if not worse. And, you know, they're struggling. They need help as well. And um, a lot of them are on the streets too, just like I was. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sad. And there's not enough shelters, right, too, because, uh, like I was saying earlier, you know, it's like, you could call the intake line days and days and not have a bed till in my case like a few weeks you know it takes right um i guess making more shelters honestly uh just just building more shelters in general in toronto um york region because i see people like when i was on the streets not just the time I was talking about, I've been on the streets before as well, and there's, the homelessness is just getting worse, it's not getting better. I feel like that there should be more support systems and more people and money managed into the homelessness. There should be like, um, I don't know if there is like a, there should be like a donation for like, you could donate money, maybe, and it's like an organization that uses that money and they build up, make say houses, right, that are actually affordable for the homelessness if they've been homeless for say four plus years or five plus years, and you have to show proof that you've been staying in a shelter for hearsay there, and basically that would literally help so many homeless people. A methodology to help the cause of youth homelessness would be those that would be considered staff stakeholders um, for both shelters and outside organizations that are on the ground would be to petition and to fight to have funding for programs that are proven to have concrete solid models in order to truly resolve the matter there needs to be a multiple supports that are in place because something to note is a lot of the many of the emergency shelter side of things are meant for that emergencies but often a lot of them take anything and any everything that comes through their doors which is both a great thing and a terrible thing because there's some youth who don't need a lot of support they already were grateful enough to be supported heavily before they came in there and it was just a luck of a terrible draw. But then there's some youth who became homeless because they, they're, they're chronically mentally ill. They don't have the support to hold down a job, resolve their mental illnesses, and make it to where it's bearable for them to live. Just generally, you'll, that reflects a lot of the general statistics of youth homelessness um, and mental health issues that are concurrent in that matter, which means that when we look at building housing programs, there also needs to be allocation for supportive housing that has treatment attached to it, because putting them in normal subsidized housing is not going to end well. Putting them in transitional housing that is considered low barrier, it's great and everything, but they have a cutoff score where if you score too high, you're not eligible for the program. And 
the sad part is there's nowhere for you to go if you're not eligible at that point. Um, there's no other, there's nowhere for you to step up to other than being hospitalized or there's just nowhere that that's a gap that needs to be filled in order for a good chunk of that issue to be resolved. That wraps up this episode of Homelessness in Hiding, our youth between the cracks, and the second part of our youth shelter series. Stay tuned for part three to hear from more youth shelter residents, many of whom are newcomers to Canada. If you're interested in supporting the cause tackling youth homelessness, I invite you to visit our website, restcenters.org. That's R-E-S-C-C-E-N-T-R-E-S dot org to learn more about our mission and how you can support the cause. If you found solace here, learned something new, or think we have something of value to offer, you can subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Maya Moniz, signing off. This podcast has been brought to you by Rest Centers, through the special dedication of our peer support leader, Maya Moniz, our Director of Youth Engagement, Romaine Redman, and Rest's Executive Director and Founder, Doug McCoy. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively those of the hosts and guests involved and have no affiliation with the Restoration and Empowerment for Social Transition Center.